Welcome to the Holy Cross Sermon Podcast. This whole year we're exploring the life and teachings of Jesus in the book of Luke. We're in a series called Kingdom Life. We are looking at how Jesus taught believers to live. Join us now as we dive into another passage. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning as we come to the gospel text. Would you come and meet with us? We pray, Holy Spirit, open our minds, open our hearts, Open my words, Lord, and anoint them. Above all, Lord, would you open your word and lead us to Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. As we continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke, we're spending a few weeks looking at kingdom life, what it means to live as Christ's followers, as Christ's disciples, or you might say how we live as citizens of God's kingdom. Now, last week, we saw particularly that our relationships with other Christians must be characterized by forgiveness. I mean, after all, if we've received forgiveness from God through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, then we also must be a forgiving people. And we also touched on the role of faith in the kingdom. We saw that we don't need great faith. We just need faith in our great God in order to accomplish amazing things. Well, this week, we are going to look at grace and gratitude. Grace and gratitude. And we'll see that a kingdom life, a life marked and sealed by God's amazing grace, is a grateful life. Let me just begin with a little story. Heard about a woman whose life was radically marked by grace. She loved the Lord with all her heart, even though she was very poor and she had a lot of struggles. Each morning and evening, she would go out on her front porch and give praise and thanks to the Lord in a loud voice. In the morning, she would go out and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I praise you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You're so good to me, Lord. And then she would offer up whatever her prayer need for the day was. Oh, Lord, meet me with guidance. Oh, Lord, meet me in my relationships. Oh, Lord, show me how to love my children. In the evening, she would go out on the porch and pray similarly. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You've been so good to me today. Thank you for showing me how to love my children. Thank you for providing for my needs It went like this day in and day out, and she was just as loud as could be and as joyful as as she could be. Now, next door, she had a neighbor who was an atheist, and he absolutely hated her praying. It drove him nuts. The more she prayed, the more bitter he got. Every time he heard her, his heart just got harder and harder to the point that he decided, I'm going to destroy her faith and prove to her finally that there is no God. Well, one morning the woman came out and prayed as she always did in her usual way. Oh, thank you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. And then she said, Lord, I'm hungry today. And you know, Lord, that I needed some groceries. That's when the atheist neighbor developed a plan for how he could destroy her faith and prove that there is no God. So that afternoon, he went to the grocery store and he bought a bag full of groceries, just full to the top of all the best things you can imagine. And he took them to her house and he put them on the porch. And then he went and he hid in the bushes. 
Not long after that, the woman came out on the porch to say her prayers. And lo and behold, she saw the groceries and she just got ecstatic. She began to praise and thank the Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for providing all I need and what I ask for. Thank you, Lord, for providing me these groceries. That's when the atheist jumped out of the bushes and shouted, Ha! There is no God. I'm the one who bought those groceries and put them there. That stopped the woman in her tracks. And with a shocked and surprised look on her face, her lips began to quiver and a tear rolled down her cheek. Her legs got shaky and she fell to her knees. She put her hands straight up in the air and she said, Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. You're so good to me. Not only did you provide me with groceries, but you got the devil himself to pay for them. That woman's life was marked by grace that led to gratitude. Let's take a look at our gospel account from Luke 17, where we will see the story of another life, a kingdom life that's marked by grace, which led to gratitude. Let's go to the text of scripture, verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled, was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So Jesus is on his final trip to Jerusalem. He's on his way to celebrate the Passover, but really he's on his way to the cross. He's on his way to offer himself as the true Passover lamb, the lamb of God. So he's got life and death on his mind as he is traveling. Now he is traveling through the borderlands, that area between Samaria and Galilee. It's not the most peaceful of places. Could be dangerous and inhospitable to travelers. Uh, Lots of racial tensions between the Jews and the Samaritans. It's not really... A great place to be and many Jews avoided it for that very reason but that's where Jesus encounters a group of 10 lepers who were isolated although they had banded together and they were quarantined to the margins due to their illness it's really important to realize that in Bible times leprosy was the most feared disease in the world people dreaded the idea that they might get it and because it was deadly and it was contagious and incurable and hopeless. Anybody who was suspected of having the disease was banished from society, isolated, cut off, and quarantined from others. Now, does this sound somewhat familiar? Of course it does. In the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic, I think we can all understand the kind of psychological trauma that goes on around an out-of-control illness. In 2020, it is not hard to get inside this biblical text. Oh, the illnesses are different, but, but the experience of the illnesses is so similar. Now, in the case of leprosy, especially in its most virile form, the disease began with a discoloration of the skin that led eventually to tissue disintegration 
basically you would lose your fingers, you would lose your toes, you would lose the skin of your face, your cheeks, your ears, your nose, and eventually you would lose sensation so that you could cut yourself or be burned and not even realize it. This could lead to all sorts of other problems, sepsis and all sorts of secondary infections. And I can tell you, friends, because I've ministered to people in India with leprosy, that it is a truly brutal disease. And I just need to say the smell of rotting flesh in a hot environment is extreme, very overwhelming. Well, here are 10 men with the same problem. They've got a physical ailment, but it's bigger than that because it had social implications. I mean, they're cut off from their families. They're cut off from their friends. They can't work. That, of course, is why they're banded together, right? It had spiritual implications. They're excluded from the worshiping community, and it had psychological ramifications. I mean... The pain of rejection by others was extraordinary. Now, you know, if you've ever experienced rejection by others, it is painful and it is destructive. As hopeless as their situation was, the good news was that Jesus was passing by. And so they called out for grace. They shout to him in verse 13, Master, Jesus have mercy on us. They don't deserve his grace. They can't earn it. They can only ask for it. I love the way that Pastor Tim Keller puts it. He says, grace is favor granted to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Let me say that again. Grace is favor granted to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. And that's what they're asking for. They, they have a need and they simply cry out in their need, mercy, mercy, mercy. Can you hear them? Do you know that cry of the heart yourself? Where all you can do is cry out for mercy to the Lord. Well, verse 14 says, when he saw them, Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. I got to tell you, y'all, I love everywhere in the Gospels where it says, and Jesus saw them. Because Jesus doesn't just look at people. I mean, he really sees people. He knows people. He understands people. And that means he sees me and he knows me and he also sees you. He sees you in the midst of life, where you are, in your pain, in your fear, in your worries, your obsessions, your addictions, your illnesses, in the midst of financial problems, your broken relationships, challenges that you're having at school or at work. And he sees you in the borderlands of your own heart, that realm that exists somewhere between faith and fear that place of your own emptiness and your inner deadness where you're stuck and you can't get yourself out apart from his grace. So Jesus tells the men to go show themselves to the priests. 
Now, this isn't a flippant response like, ah, go show yourself to the priests. He isn't putting them off. He's expressing his willingness to heal them. And he does so in keeping with the demands of the law of Moses. Leviticus chapter 13 and chapter 14 are all about leprosy and and how it is to be dealt with if a person is to be healed or cured of it. And Leviticus 14 states that the priest must authenticate any cure from leprosy. So Jesus saying, go show yourselves to the priest, is like him, he's saying, you've asked for grace, so I freely give it to you. I'm not obligated, and you're undeserving, but I give you favor anyway, so go. I wonder how they felt at that point. I mean, they were still lepers. He said it, but nothing had changed. They didn't have anything to show the priest. There was nothing about them that the priest would want to see. In fact, I think the last thing that a priest would want would be for 10 deformed lepers to show up at his door. And so they must have been filled with doubt and foreboding, that kind of pit that hits the stomach, because all they had was Jesus' command to go, and it didn't make any sense to their minds at that point. Friends, this is so crucial to, to understand because it's key to the spiritual life. Jesus rarely asks us to do things we can figure out on our own. Because if we can figure it all out and we can accomplish it on our own, we don't need any faith and therefore we don't need him. And that's where many of us get stuck in the borderlands of our own lives. We're unwilling to trust him and take a step of faith because we don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. We don't get it. I don't, I don't see how this will work out. But then when we do trust him and take a step, when we act on our faith, no matter how small, no matter how insignificant our faith may be, God honors it and the answer begins to come. So they set out and they take a step and nothing happens. They take another step, still lepers, third step and they're looking at each other like yep you look just as bad as you did before and then another step and lo and behold something amazing instantly miraculously all at once all ten are healed you talk about a blessing oh my goodness now that would be amazing enough But the story doesn't end there because grace is going to lead to gratitude. Verse 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back, praising God in a loud voice. And he fell on his feet at Jesus, on his face at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Now he was a Samaritan. One of the ten who were healed returns. He sees what's happened to his body. He's overwhelmed by the cleansing he's received. He's no longer dirty. He's suddenly awash in the grace that has been poured out upon him. And it's that grace that causes him to turn around and head back to the one who is the source of the blessing he has received. 
Mercy causes us to turn. Grace causes us to shift and to go back and to head to a different place. And he doesn't do it quietly. There is no privatized faith here, no respectable order, no liturgy without life, rules without relationship, morality without meaning. There is only the vibrancy of grace, the astonishment of being accepted by the living God. And that's why he's whooping and hollering, shouting God's praises, just like the woman on the porch and the story I told you at the beginning of the sermon. See, a life touched by grace always leads to gratitude. The two are inseparable. Grace is the root, and gratitude is the fruit. Now, get your mind back in the story. Let the picture form. Let it shape you. Can you see him at the feet of Jesus worshiping? Tears running down his cheeks that are now full. Nose dripping. Lips that had been eaten away. Now gushing out praise. His aloneness turned into acceptance by the one whom he had cried out to as master from afar, but whom now he knows and loves as Lord right on up close. And then Luke adds, and oh, by the way, he was a Samaritan. Another surprise. The gospel is always full of surprises. The nine who were Jewish insiders should have recognized the Messiah, but didn't. And the one who was a Samaritan outsider did. And once again, it's the upside down of the kingdom. The religious don't see and the irreligious do see. The confident miss it and the broken see it. The last are first and the first are last. The churchgoers miss out and the addicts come dancing down the aisles. And Jesus was surprised and he was saddened by the ingratitude of the nine. And you can hear it in his three questions. Verse 17, Jesus asked, were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Can't you hear the disappointment? I mean, it, it crushes me to realize that I can bring grief to the heart of God. Don't you see the Lord's heart being grieved? And it's through their ingratitude. Now, the nine got what they wanted, but then they left. Jesus performed a mighty miracle for them, and they said, Thanks, Lord. I can take it from here. People still do it. I see this all the time. Man gets into trouble in his finances or his career. He starts to call upon the Lord to help him. A child gets sick or into some kind of trouble, and the parents start to pray like crazy. A woman's marriage is falling apart, so she starts back to church. And then when the blessing comes, when the grace is given, the answer arrives, nine out of ten never even say thank you. And in fact, once they get what they want, they're gone. No more church, no more prayers, no more worship. That's it. But thankfully, it's not that way with everyone. Verse 19, 
And Jesus said to the Samaritan, who incidentally is there worshiping in gratitude at his feet, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Literally, it means your faith has saved you. Now, do you hear the language of resurrection and of new life? Rise, Jesus says, and go. What we see here is another disciple being born, or to use New Testament language, being born anew or born again, reborn, and commissioned to go. Rise, same word that's used for the resurrection, and go. See, the Samaritan started out like the others, looking for a blessing to fix his problem. But upon receiving grace, he recognized that what he really wanted was the blesser. The gift alone wasn't enough. He wanted the giver. And Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. In other words, let's just sort of unpack that a little bit. Your willingness to trust me and believe me, to act in faith upon my words, to step out and do what I command, to recognize the grace that I freely give, to allow that grace to flow out of you in testimony to others, to lay down your life in worship and gratitude, not wanting simply what I can give you, but receiving above all else what I offer you, relationship with myself. That, Jesus says, has made you well. There's a totality to the expression. His healing is not just skin deep, and it's not just physical. He's healed body, soul, and spirit. It's not just temporal, as though it will come and later go. It is an eternal healing that has occurred. Now, remember the scriptural mandate that a priest had to declare a leper healed. Well, this man has come not just to a priest, not even to the high priest, but to the one that the book of Hebrews calls the great high priest, who will enter not into the earthly temple made of bricks and mortar, but into the heavenly sanctuary with the offering of his own blood. He is the one who declares this man totally healed. It's remarkable. Now the question is, so what should we do today? I want to point to at least three things. And the first is this. It may be time for you to recognize your own deep need for the grace Jesus offers you. To move away from religion. And to call out in faith for salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says... If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's the same Greek word that we heard in our gospel lesson. You will be well through and through, saved, whole. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved, made whole through and through. Now, you can do that quietly right now as you hear my words in the, in the midst of your heart. You can say, yes, Lord, I do believe. But then I want you to go and I want you to confess it to somebody else. Go tell somebody. Let it be known. 
like the leper who is willing to shout it. You don't have to shout necessarily, but you do have to go act. Do something about it. Now, second, some of you have been calling out to God for answers, for grace, for blessing, but you've been refusing to move out in faith. You've been praying, Lord, I need money, but refusing to go out and look for a job. Uh, refusing to put a budget in place or to trust God by learning to give now before you have what you need. Some of you have been praying, Lord, help me get healthy, but you have never been willing to change the way you eat or to begin to exercise. Some have been praying, Lord, free me from this addiction, but you're refusing to go to a 12-step group where other people can support you and help you along the way. And then others have been praying, Lord, I want to know you more but you're never willing to pick up your Bible or spend time alone with God in prayer and meditation. Friends, all of that is just passivity disguised as spirituality. Remember, faith acts. So here's your assignment. Go read Hebrews chapter 11, and you'll see a whole bunch of people who, because of their faith, acted in response to what God told them. So what I want you to do, having read Hebrews chapter 11, is to take that thing you've been praying about, that that answer you haven't yet received, that blessing you're seeking, that problem in your life, and go back to God with it and ask him what he wants you to do and then act upon what he tells you. Yes, I know it may not make complete sense, but faith acts. It acts in response to the word of God, and so do it. And that's when I suspect you'll begin to see answers coming in your life. God will meet you out there. Now, lastly, some of you have known the Lord maybe for a very long time, but your heart seems to be lost in those borderlands, feeling empty, kind of inwardly dead, void, vacant. You're stuck where you once knew vibrancy, but now you only know lethargy. Well, let me just make, well, let me suggest that it could be an issue of ingratitude. What if you spent more time this week weaving gratitude holistically into your life? Now, let me describe what I mean by that, weaving gratitude holistically into your life. Go deal with the vertical dimension with God. Start there. Specifically write down in your journal, if you don't have one, go get one, in your journal all the things you can think of to thank him for, things that are theological and things that are everyday and practical. Like thank him for things you wouldn't normally think to thank him of. Thank you for air conditioning. Thank you for clean water to drink. So big and little, there's, there's a myriad of things. And try to write down 20 things a day for a week. That would be 140 things you're thankful for. Or if 20 is too many a day, why don't you do 10 things? Write down 10 things per day for a month, which, of course, would be 300 things. Or if you want to go for a lifestyle of gratitude, why not write down five things per day for a year, which, of course, would be more than 1,800 things. If you do this and you really thank him, your heart might again recognize the beauty of grace so that gratitude is a fruit 
and the root from which it stems, grace, becomes beautiful to you again. Now, I said do this holistically. That's the vertical dimension with God, but there's a horizontal dimension as well. What if you and your family paused from your hectic schedule of going, 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 and started to express your gratitude, your thankfulness to one another and for one another? Not just, I'm glad we're all here around the table, or not just thank you, God, for the food, but expressing things like, like let's say your wife is the one who cooks dinner and you're the husband and your kids are all gathered there. Why not tell your wife and your kids while you're together? Kids, I'm so thankful for mom. Look at what she's done for us. She's planned ahead for this meal and how it would look. And she went to the store and she bought the groceries and spent time preparing it for us. And honey, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so thankful for you. What if we modeled friends? gratitude and thankfulness for our children and it became like the air we breathe within our home relationships what if you went to work tomorrow and you weren't just grateful for the people that you work with but you showed them whether privately or publicly in word or in action just how thankful you are for them can you imagine what that would produce in your workplace, the kind of encouragement that that might bring. And what if Holy Cross became a church that increasingly gives thanks? We give thanks to God and we give thanks to one another and we thank God for each other. And of course, we're about to receive the Eucharist. It's called the Great Thanksgiving where we see and we celebrate week in and week out what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross as he gave his body and his blood was poured out for our sins and for our forgiveness, for our justification. And God receiving that sacrifice raised him from the dead for our justification. Why not allow ourselves to live as the grateful people? I bet if we We'll do this as a community of people, that there will be such a fragrance to us. There'll be such a hum in the air that people who come near us, who come into our worship spaces, who engage with us online, will simply go, what in the world do they have? And our answer will be, we have grace. Come and taste and see how good it is. May we become people who give thanks to God not only with our lips, but with our lives, by giving up ourselves in the service of God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, today we simply say to you, yes. We cry out with our needs and we say, as you you speak, as you lead, we say, yes. Would you have mercy upon us, make us new, restore us, encourage us, show us the steps we should take. But above all, this day, Lord, beyond asking, we want to say thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the Son. Thank you for the Spirit. Thank you for the Word. Thank you for the sacrament. Thank you for the church. Thank you, Lord, for giving us grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.